Hold on to your butts. <laughs> Welcome to episode 55 of the Civil War Breakfast Club podcast. Tonight, I am joined by the guy who puts up with me being a manasshole on Tuesday evenings after I've had a tough day at the DQ. The Rock of Massachusetts, Darren Weeks. And I just butchered his state name. I am just simply Mary. You're not just simply Mary. Wow, that was a smooth as silk intro. Holy crap. Wow. <laughs> that, wasn't, that was horrible. Wow. You had all day to work on that too. And that's what you come up with. Wow. What incredible, incredible. So, I hey, what you. is going on? How are you? Happy Tuesday, Mary. How are you? Happy Tuesday to you too. <laughs> oh, thank you. I well, it's always a train it. wreck when I do the when I do the fucking intro, but you let me do it every other week anyway. Oh, I let you do it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, how are you? I'm going. To, it's awesome. It is great. Fall is in the air. Footballs are going to start mm-hmm. flying this Sunday down here. Yep. Go and Pats. We're looking forward to, absolutely. We're looking forward to the autumnal season starting, which yep. means pumpkin beer. I was just going to say pumpkin beer. And footballs. So we are ready. We yep. are ready. We're ready to go. And hoodies, yeah. finally. Hoodie season yeah. is finally here. Yeah, hoodie season is here. No question about that. No question about that. So you have a good weekend? Have you got anything going on in your life? Exciting? I did. Yes. I, uh, it was a nice long weekend. How about you? Oh, same. Very good. Very yeah. good. Very had good. Some had beers a good live with, weekend. Had some yep. beers with good had, friends. Oh. Had some beers. Absolutely. Yeah. Beers are good. And now we changed gears. Speaking of football, we made an audible at the line of scrimmage this week, Mary. Okay, yeah, we we're going to do Cheap Mountain. Mm-hmm. Wait, we're not doing Cheap Mountain still, right? No, we're not. Okay, all right, go. No, we said fuck that on Wednesday morning. We were like, okay. let's do Chantilly okay. instead. We're going to do the Battle of Chantilly, which is, we, you know, last week we did we did Bronner Farm, which is the beginning of the Second Manassas mm-hmm. Battle. Yep. And now we're going to go to the postscripts of the Second the Manassas rear. Battle and talk about the rear. But enough about Carney. The Battle of <laughs> Chantilly. We'll, we'll get to him later. We'll get to him later. So we're going to talk about the Battle of Chantilly, which took place on September 1st, 1862, which was the culmination of the Northern Virginia campaign for Robert E. Lee. And it was really the end of the road for old John Pope. Yes, it was. And it's going to be the end of the road for two other people as well that are part of the Union Army. And I currently am sitting at Chantilly. Or at least that's my background. You are. Yes, thanks to exactly. one of our listeners who very kindly emailed us some photos of his visit to Chantilly. So I decided to use one of them as a And if you've been to Chantilly, that background is pretty much the entire battlefield. It is. Now. That's pretty much it. So yep, there's not much left to Chantilly. Battlefield preservation. We're going to be talking about down the road with some friends. We'll talk we about are. Later. Yes. But, 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 sorry to steal your thunder, Mary. We have business to take care of. We do. That's what I've been trying to get to. Oh, okay. Rude. <laughs> so, what beer are you drinking tonight? I am drinking from the great treehouse here in Massachusetts. It's called Julie-ish. It's the nice. it's basically Julius Light, and I'm drinking out of our original Silver War Breakfast Club Company mug with Alexis and David on it. So yeah. that's my deal today. That's what I'm doing. What about yourself? I am drinking Voodoo Ranger IPA by New Belgium. Which is uh, it's one of my favorite beers, so I got that for tonight. And I'm also drinking it out of our company mug, which you so kindly bought last year for me. Thank you for that. Very good. Very creativity again. Right on target. Yes. Right on target. So anyway, about the Chantilly thing, Mary, we're going to talk about this. So we talked before about how this was the end of um, the, the North Virginia campaign and the following second Manassas, which we know took place on August 28th. Mm-hmm. Through the 30th, and I do say the 28th because Bronner is yep. part of the battle, in my opinion. Real quick, we're not going to go into Second Manassas. I'll refer back to episode two, Mary. Yes, if you episode, would like to learn podcast, about Second Manassas. We will talk about it in painful detail, but today, just real quickly, 
It is a one-sided hammer versus a nail Confederate victory, the Seventh Manassas. Over 100,000 soldiers fought in the sun on the old Bull Run battlefield in the previous year, resulting in over 22,000 casualties combined. Robert E. Lee routed General John Pope, his Army of Virginia, and it was one of the most decisive beatdowns in all of the Civil War. It was going on at a time when things were not going too well in the West. It was a very bad weekend for old Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm. What this basically did was it kind of catapulted Robert E. Lee to his invasion of the North in this, what this battle kind of is. So real quick, Robert E. Lee, Army of Northern Virginia, he didn't like John Pope too much. We talked about it last think week. Many kinda, people kinda like- thought he was kind of thought he was a dick. Phil Carney okay. thought the same thing of John Pope, but I think Phil Carney thought that about a lot of people. Yeah, Carney, well, he's all right. But John Pope was very arrogant. We mm-hmm. talked about that before. In the West, he was used to seeing the soldiers' backs. They were running away. Yeah. And Robert E. Lee did like him. John Pope was someone who was just very cocky, and Lee, like many people, including people in his own army, didn't like him. Robert E. Lee just finished beating him down at Second Manassas. He wanted to finish the job. So John Pope is planning on a full retreat. Now, mm-hmm. this isn't a quite full retreat like we talked about the retreat from Gettysburg. It isn't that many people. Yeah. What John Pope wants to do, he wants to retreat back to the safety of those Washington defenses about 30 miles away from the battlefield as the burb flies, <laughs> right? That's how close it is. He wants to get back. Lee knows Pope is going to want to retreat. So what he wants to do is he wants to cut him off before he can go. Now, there's only so many places that John Pope can escape to. He is going to go heading towards Centerville, which is originally where the John Pope thought Stonewall Jackson was, mm-hmm. just not too far away from the battlefield. And that town is right along the retreat path. What Lee wants to do is he wants to get there before his army does, stop them there and finish him off and put his put him in the dirt, right? He orders Thomas Stonewall Jackson to go ahead and do it. He wants Jackson to get between Pope and Washington. And along the way, there is a road junction in a town called Germantown, Virginia. He's going to try to get them there. Lee knows Pope has to go through that road junction to get to Washington. So what he's going to do is on August 31st, one day after the battle of Second Manassas, old TJ is on the move, right? He's moving along north along a road called Gum Springs Road. The best road names. Are what a fantastic there, name! Just Gum Springs Road. Is that is near? Just... Does that lead to Sugar Loaf Mountain? I think it does. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> anyway, um, so he's going on that road, and, and when he gets there, he's going to get to a, a road called Little River Turnpike, which he's going to turn east. Now, what he wants to do is he wants to get around John Pope's right flank. He's going to cut him off before he does. So that's kind of what his what the game plan is. He's going to take his entire left wing, which is 20,000 guys, is what he's going to do. And he wants to get there, and he wants to finish him off, and he wants to end it right then and there. Lee wants to, at the very, you know, the most, he wants to destroy Pope's army. But at the very least, he wants to scare him into going back into Washington's defenses just to open the way for him to get north. So he knows that even if Jackson fails, it's still going to be to his benefit because he's going to be able to get to the north. Now, the other thing that is going on with Pope is Pope is having a lot of pressure from Halleck to attack Lee again. Halleck writes to Pope, you've done nobly. Don't yield another inch if you can avoid it. All reserves are being sent forward. Can you renew the attack? I am doing all in my power for you and your noble army. God bless you and it. So there's a lot of pressure for him to attack. But that's because like we've seen the situation, you know, recently Battle of Richmond has already happened. That's been a complete failure for the Union. So there's a lot of pressure on Pope to get this much needed victory. That, Don't forget that's Richmond, Kentucky we're talking about. Yes. 
I don't want to confuse you, Mary, but it's a Richmond, Virginia. <laughs> Richmond, okay. Yeah. This is the arrogance of Pope. So Halleck's yeah. like, well, back up your shit, right? You're talking big. You just got beaten up. I want you to attack again. And Pope is like, oh, no, no, no. He's no, doing no. the General Thomas thing. And, right. the, yeah. and the problem is, too, is the morale of the army. The one thing that you read a lot of in the reports after this from the soldiers is that the morale of Pope's army is completely low. Mm -hmm. One said there's no denying, however, that we had lost the prestige by the defeat of Manassas. And Manassas was a real cold water in the face yeah. for a lot of people in Washington because they – this is a situation you're coming off of McClellan's getting kicked off the peninsula. Now you have a chance to try to, to win a battle. They kind of had the jump a little bit on Stonewall Jackson or mm -hmm. Bronner, but it just, we, you know, it just it ended up getting bad, really bad for Paul because of his obsession with Stonewall Jackson. He, he didn't keep an eye on James Longstreet mm -hmm. and the rest is history. So by the end of August 31st, the end of, this, of that day, Stonewall Jackson's army, like I said, 20,000 guys is starting to arrive at the site of the modern day Pleasant Valley Golf Club which is just a few miles west of the town of Chantilly, Virginia, which is named after a plantation. But yeah. And now that, I have the monkey song in my head, Pleasant Valley Sunday. Daydream Believer. <laughs> I do love that song too. <laughs> a great song. So Stonewall's going to camp for the night because he wants to go to sleep because apparently all he does is sleep. So that's what he's going to do. I know, he's right? He's like thing. napping <laughs> again here. I'm like, dude, what the fuck? Like, yeah, we're all the good nap. Give, you know, give, him a, give him a break. Give him a break. Oh, don't worry, I had but, a good nap Sunday morning. Anyways, so he, that's where Stonewall Jackson is going to be. He's going to sit there and wait. He wants to camp for the night near this golf course. And you can still see the golf course there. That's where it was. So September 1st, 7 o'clock in the morning, okay, Jackson's army is up and they're on the move again. And they are rolling east along that little river turnpike. Now, here is when Stonewall Jackson's cavalry is going to start to bump into some Union troops along that turnpike, mm -hmm. right? So John Pope now... This is the first of the month of September 1st now. I imagine he probably said rabbit, rabbit for luck. I would hope he <laughs> yeah. would. He's hearing these stories of these Confederates on his right flank now. And so he has what they call that pucker effect moment. Yeah. Like, oh, you know. So Pope is going to order old friend Joseph Hooker, his division, the 3rd Corps from Sam Heitzelman's Corps in the Army of the Potomac to set up a defensive line in that town of Germantown we just talked about. He's like, well, I need to protect our retreat. So I need you to set up a defensive line and just protect us. Jackson, he is going to find out about this. He's going to find out that Hooker is moving towards him. So what he's going to do, he's going to stop, pump the brakes right there in that turnpike road. He doesn't want to move anymore. Mm -hmm. He's going to decide to halt his troops. and He's going to sit there about five miles west of Germantown. And he wants to wait for James Longstreet now. He's like, look, I don't know who the hell's it's Hooker. I don't know who else is there. We need to take a break. James Longstreet's commanding that right wing. And he was going to be supposed to be following up Jackson. You know, you have Jackson, who's, you know, who's on the left wing, uh, Longstreet on the right wing. Like I told you before, the easy way to remember is the left makes the L in your hand. You can remember it that way. So in case you forget. And so at this point, Pope is kind of seeing the writing on the wall here. Because now yeah. he's afraid of his army getting routed on his right flank. Well, he's had he's reports, too, of Jackson's men as well like he knows that they're somewhere nearby so what does pope do he says hooker might not be enough okay he's going to order another guy brigadier general isaac stevens's first division in the ninth corps under jesse reno so he is going to tell him to go towards germantown as well and what he wants him to do is set up a defensive line near the little river turnpike mm -hmm. about he's but he's going to be about two miles west of where hooker is what he's hoping pope is that that's going to keep that avenue of retreat open that's what he's thinking. Yeah. So real quick, Isaac Ingalls Stevens, a little background on him. He's the first governor of the territory of Washington out there in the West. He'll eventually be a delegate to the U.S. House of Representatives. He's got a very colorful past, though, Mary. Mm -hmm. 
born in lovely North Andover, Massachusetts. So right off the bat, you know, he's a Patriot Patriots fan. A born fellow of an asshole. You got it. He's going to end up in a situation where he's going to go to West Point. Okay. He is going to graduate first in his class in 1839. In his class is none other than the two double H's, Henry Halleck and Henry Hunt mm-hmm. are in his class. So you have Stevens first, you have Halleck third, and Henry Hunt's going to be 19th in that class. You've got some big people. He's an angry little guy. Okay. Mm. He is, he's fiery. He's only five foot three. He looks like Tyrion Lannister. He does. And he probably has hot dog legs, realistically (laughs) speaking, for his his height as well. So he is going to end up fighting in Mexico. He is going to get breveted for the Battle of uh, of Chapultepec. But when he gets out to Washington, he's going to kind of turn to the dark side a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like I said before, he's going to be appointed governor of Washington, that territory way up there in 1853. He's controversial to say the least because he's fighting the Native Americans up there and he's trying to deal with them. He's forcing them to sign treaties uh, under duress through intimidation. He imposed martial law uh, to anybody who opposed him, Indian or non he was someone who caught a lot of shit for executing a guy named Chief Leshy from the Nisqually tribe, just executing him. He was someone who took advantage of his position being so far away, very corrupt. When he was finally arrested for corruption, you know what he does? He pardons himself, which is, that's what he did. It's <laughs> amazing. And of course, and of course, what he does after that, he becomes a congressman in Washington. Yep. What a surprise. That's what he ends, he ends up doing. So He's going to join the army after um, first bull run. He's going to go back to the mm-hmm. army where he's going to command the 79th New York, the Highlanders, which is fun because the Highlanders from New York is also the original name of the New York Yankees baseball team today. Fun little baseball nice. history. He's going to fight at Port Royal. And then he's going to eventually join Pope's army of Virginia just before second Manassas. So the thing about Stevens is he's, he's a hard fighting shifty type of guy. Yep. And he's just somebody who is probably that, that dude at the bar you just don't want to screw with, but that's who he is. Yeah. With Hooker is another guy because Hooker is going along one road and Heinzelman is not happy that Pope has chosen Hooker to do this because he says that Hooker had seen some hard fighting at the Battle of Manassas and that the third corps was just completely, he was like, nope. And Pope's like, no, 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 it's fine. We're going to do it. I got the feeling that Heinzelman and Pope didn't exactly get along. But bringing up kind of the rear of Hooker's line is none other than Philip Carney, who is another guy that is going to factor into this battle. And he's got a very colorful past as well and quite an interesting history. So he's born in 1815 in New York York City to wealthy Irish-American family. He always wanted a military career ever since he was a kid. Parents died when he was very young, so he's raised by his grandfather who insisted that Carney have a career in law, but he didn't want that. But he still attends Columbia College, gets his law degree in 1833. 1836, his grandfather dies and leaves him over $1 million, which is close to $30 million in today's dollars. So it's quite a sum of money. So really, Carney could have just sat on his ass and did nothing for the rest of his life. <laughs> kind, of, kind of ironic, that quote. It is. Um, Carney decides that he can make the army his profession now with this money he's come into. So 1837, he gets a commission as second lieutenant of the cavalry, and he's assigned to the first U.S. Dragoons. And this is commanded by his uncle, Colonel Stephen Carney. And the adjutant general in this was Jefferson Davis. So he's out on the Western frontier for a while. 1839, Carney goes all the way over to France to study cavalry tactics, and he's going to be in some engagements in Algeria. And apparently he rode into battle with a sword in his right hand, a pistol in his left hand, and the reins in his teeth. And this is where he gets the nickname Carney le Magnifique. Or I can't say it. It's Carney the Magnificent. I can't do a French accent. This is why I didn't take French. Magnif- Magnifique? Magnifique. Thank you. 
That's why I did not do well in French class. Really bad. 1840, he returns to the U.S. and writes Cavalry Manual for the Army based on his experiences. He's an aide-de-camp for both Alexander Maycomb, who's going to end up being killed, um, and Winfield Scott. And he also serves on the frontier again, too. So he's accompanying his uncle um, to the south pass of the Oregon Trail in 1845. No word if anybody died of dysentery. Yeah. Well played. <laughs> I'm fired up tonight, you can tell. Oh, wow. You, you're bringing the ha-has tonight. <laughs> 1846, he resigns his commission because of lack of combat, but returns a month later because of the Mexican-American War. He's assigned to raise troops for the first U.S. Dragoons, Company F, with his own money. That's what he does. And his unit soon becomes the personal bodyguard for General Winfield Scott. And this includes even outfitting the entire company with 120 gray horses. So, I mean, clearly he's got the money to do this, right? He's going to be wounded in his left arm at a battle in the Mexican-American War and have it amputated, which is funny. He loses his left arm. Howard loses his right. And later on, after the Battle of Seven Pines, after Howard's lost his right arm, Carney goes up to him and says, hey, we can go glove shopping together. Wow. And just, yeah. It's... Personal life is a little bit interesting. So uh, 1851, his marriage isn't going so great. So he decides to go for a trip around the world. Uh, He ends up falling in love with a woman named Agnes Maxwell, but he can't marry her because his uh, first wife will not grant him a divorce. They still end up moving in together in 1855 after, uh, and Carney gets injured when he falls off his horse. Wife number one finally grants him a divorce and he and Agnes move to Paris where they finally get married. And by this point, the civil war breaks out. He comes back and as we know, he fights in a lot of the early battles. He's commanding the third division of the third corps at Williamsburg and Fair Oaks. He boasted at Williamsburg that he could make his men follow him to hell. I'm a one-armed son of a gun, follow me, was what Kearney often said to the troops. And he said, don't worry men, they'll be firing at me. He doesn't like McClellan and often ignores his orders. At the Battle of Malvern Hill, when McClellan tells him to withdraw, Kearney wrote, I, Philip Kearney, an older soldier, enter my solemn protest against the order for retreat. We ought, instead of retreating, should follow up the enemy and take Richmond. And in full view of all responsible for such declaration, I say to you all, such an order can be prompted by cowardice or treason. And the one thing about Phil Kearney that he's left with a bit of a legacy in the Army of the Potomac, even after he's been killed, is that he was the one that came up for the idea for the insignia patches that uh, Mm -hmm. Butterfield put into place when Hooker made all the changes to the Army of the Potomac after Fredericksburg and when he Mm -hmm. took command. Carney is also known as the one-armed devil. Just look at that. (laughs) So what what we have basically at this point is you have Stonewall Jackson in the woods waiting for Longstreet. And you've got really two, really, really one division coming down bearing on him, and that's going to be Stevens' division. So September 1st, around 1 o'clock in the afternoon, you've got Stevens' division with his three brigades, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, and New York guys. They're going to be marching along with Reno's 2nd Division, who's got two brigades now, along that Warrington Turnpike we've talked so much about. Jackson... He's sitting at a place called Ox Hill, just southeast of Chantilly, Virginia. And this is where, again, he was going to sit and he was going to chill and wait for Longstreet's wing to arrive. That, so that's what he's kind of doing. Now, afternoon goes on. Now, 4 o'clock or so, the rebel vedettes are starting to report um, Union infantry starting to appear to their south. And this is the vanguard of Stevens' division that they're mm-hmm. seeing. So Jackson, he's like, well, remembers what happened a couple of days before over at Bronner. He's like, so he's going to mobilize quickly. He's going to send A.P. Hill's division, his two brigades, south of that little river turnpike to see what the scoop is. 
to see if these rumors by these vedettes of these Union infantry, not cavalry, but infantry are true. And if so, what their number is and what their strength is. So he's going to prepare. And while he's doing that, he's going to ready the rest of his army for battle that he thinks could be coming now. He's going to sit there. Now, by four o'clock on the Union side, there are more troops that are beginning to arrive as well. This is Edward Ferrero's 2nd Brigade in Reno's division, along with um, the Corps commander himself, Jesse Reno, who happens to be sick of this battle and he's not going to do much, mm-hmm. but he's there, but he's just he's not feeling yeah. well. So Ferrero. Sounds he, like Talaferro. Yeah, he's, he's going to basically be sent to cover Stevens' flank east of that Ox Road. So he's going to send the 51st New York and the 21st Massachusetts into the woods, and they vanish. I don't know what, you know, what the woods, what the Rosewoods clown was in there, but they just disappeared. They just, you didn't see them. You're familiar with that, aren't you? You know what? <laughs> Meanwhile, his other brigade, the 51st Pennsylvania uh, Regiment, rather, is going to be placed in the rear to cover the artillery. So that's kind of what Ferrer is going to be doing. Around now, Right around now is when the weather starts to act up. Yeah. So anybody who's been in Virginia this time of year or anywhere on the East Coast knows how quickly late afternoon thunderstorms come. And that's what's going to start to happen. So the skies open up and it starts pouring. And the reports are is it is a spectacular thunder and lightning storm. Now, Stevens, he is going to look and he's going to see the rebel troops emerging from the woods to his front. Um, north of a place called the Reed Farm. Now, this is the 6th Louisiana Irish Tigers under a guy named William Monaghan, okay? And they're in Lawton's Brigade. So these are the troops that are kind of going forward to check out what the scoop is. He knows he's got to push them back because the one thing Isaac Stevens knows he has to do is keep the troops away mm-hmm. from the army to keep them back. So he knows he has to do the best he can to push them back. He's going to send in the 79th New York. This is his old regiment that he was in charge of. Under a guy named David Morrison, his brigade, the 3rd Brigade. And what they're going to do is they're going to march towards that Confederate line near the woods. What he'll do is he'll set up the 79th in three different lines, and he's going to advance, and he's going to personally lead them. He's going to be the man. Mm -hmm. He's going to yell, follow me, Highlanders, and he's going to start heading into the woods. Now, Stevens, they are marching in these three lines. Just imagine this. Three lines through this cornfield and pouring thunderstorm there's thunder and lightning the field is quickly turning into mud there's no visibility whatsoever and then the other issue they're running into is the friggin' muskets are getting wet so now the powder is getting wet so they're yep. basically completely useless so, so they got to use their they, bayonet right so you're just like you're marching in line you go well this thing doesn't freaking work anymore and you don't know where, who, who you're going against what you're going and so naturally some of these soldiers pull out their F this card and say, I'm not going out of your freaking mind. So, so the line starts to stall. It doesn't, yep. they, they kind of slow down. It's, they, they, I don't know. So Stevens needs to keep them moving. But meanwhile, by the way, they're under fire. So now they're getting picked off while they're standing there in the pouring rain out in the open. One color bear falls, two, three, four, five of them. Fifth one falls, okay? They're getting picked off by these troops in the woods. Stevens is going to grab the regimental colors at this point from the color bearer who just got shot. And while he grabs the flag, the color bearer yells to him, for God's sakes, General, don't take the colors. He yells at him. Stevens does anyway. He's going to grab it. And as he does this, he's going to step over his wounded son who just got shot. Hazard Mm. Stevens is his name. Now, Hazard Stevens is going to survive, as a matter of fact. He cries out to his father, help me, help me. And his father just keeps on going, just ignores him. Now, he is going to survive, and he's actually going to be the first guy in Washington state to climb the top of Mount Rainier a couple wow. of years later. The useless fact, but that's what's going to happen. He's going to ignore his son, and he's going to grab the colors, and he's going to start yelling. He's going to yell, follow your general. And he's going to start to move. Now, these Louisiana Tigers, 
start to back off at this mm-hmm. point. Stephen's going to get to a fence where the rebel line was, and he's going to step over the fence. And while he's standing there on the fence, he's going to be shot in the side of the head, and he's going to be killed instantly. He's going to be out. And after his body's going to stay there in the mud. And the way he fell, the flag wrapped around him. Yep. Just the way he fell. And so his body, when they found him later that day, he was still clenching the flag. That's how hard oh he was holding God. onto it. Now, what's interesting about him is he got buried in Newport, Rhode Island, right around the corner from Governor K. Warren. And next to Isaac Stevens is his son, Hazard, who died years later. They're wow. both buried next to each other. If you're, if you're ever there, there you go. So now you can see no, it. No, I'd like so, to go see it. No, I think it was like 1918 the kid died. It was something yeah. like that. But that's that's a story about, about Stevens. Now, a guy named Benjamin Christ is going to take over. Okay, He is going to be taking over the division for Stevens. By now, the 28th Mass and that 79th New York are being picked clean. They're being completely shredded by these rebel muskets. Now, aside from the wet powder, the guys who do have dry powder, they're running out of ammo. Yep. So you can imagine what's going on with this. This is where, you know, if you're a good general, you learn. And this is where Jackson does a good job with this is he's setting up his army to prepare, even the guys who aren't fighting. So he's going to have his army basically in a semicircle at this point. Um, the left flank is going to be anchored on that little river turnpike. The right flank is going to be behind those woods. And they're going to be set up that way. Predictably, Stevens' division after Isaac Stevens is killed starts to fall back. I yep. mean, they do, right? Yeah. Yep. You have the death of the commander shot right in front of you, mm-hmm. just like that. Their energy is basically out. Stevens, and this is what's interesting too, is before Stevens dies, before he does, the last thing he does before he grabbed the flag is he sent a messenger by the name of Horatio Belcher to go find people. Yep. Now, I don't know if he called someone 25 times, but what happened was he went out to find people. And who does Belcher find is Phil Carney. Yep, he finds Phil Carney on the Warrington Turnpike. He tells him about Stevens' call for help. At Seven Pines in Glendale, Carney had been called in to save the day. And here he is being called in to save the day again. General Carney is going to go up against A.P. Hill during this severe thunderstorm. When he arrives there on the battlefield, he thinks that there's a gap in Stevens' disorganized line. He has Bernie's brigade on Stevens' left and orders him to attack. And then he goes over to the 21st Massachusetts and he curses at them and he threatens to turn a battery on them if they don't advance. And one of them recollected afterwards under his sneers, threats, and curses, we again moved forward. And But Carney still believes that there are rebels out there in his front. But Carney, like, then what Carney though is when he first finds out, when he, you know, when, he, mm-hmm. when he's told by when Belcher finds him and he runs into him and says, "I, uh, you, you know, you need to, you know, you need to come help us out a little bit." A lot of times, you, they're like, "Ah, oh, you know, I, I don't, I don't answer to you. This is a situation. You'll find somebody else." He says, "The quote he says is, by God, I will support Stevens anywhere.'" And he yep. immediately is going to rush over with David Belt Bernie. To your point, I know you were talking about the gap real quick. But what Bernie wants to do is he he knows Jackson's reforming his lines after Stevens' men fell because yeah. he knew there was going to be a second wave. And so he does. So he's ready for that next Union advance. Now, Bernie, he is going to basically go and he's going to set up his brigade to attack really two brigades on the, on the, um, the Confederate right flank. He's going to hit Dorsey Pender and he's going to want to hit Lawrence Branch's brigades. That's where he's going to hit. Mm-hmm. And so it's on the 3rd and the 4th Maine, 1st and 38th, 40th, 101st New York, and the 57th PA. So that's the plan. He also thinks, Bernie does, that Stevens' battered division is going to help him at yep. some point, that they're going to support him. 
And so he asked a guy named Colonel Orlando Poe, which is Kearney's 2nd Brigade commander, to line up on his flank. And this is when Kearney starts looking for people because he knows he needs more people. Yep. So he's going to ride off desperately looking for more guys. And I mentioned before, he's you know he's going to go ride off and look for some. The first people he finds is at 79th New York, who just got their asses yep. astroglided earlier in the Stevens fight. And so he's going to find them and he's going to say, I need you guys to fight. And they're going to go, well, A, we're beaten up and B, we have no ammo. So sorry, these aren't the droids you're looking for. <laughs> so so he has to go ride on. So that's when he finds that 21st Massachusetts, yeah. you mentioned, that Farrow's 2nd Brigade under Reno's division. Now, this is that regiment that disappeared in the woods. Mm-hmm. So whatever the hell they were doing, they're back. And this is just east of that Ox Road. When he orders them, and this is the thing, is... I'll tell you right now, no Massachusetts man wants to take any orders from a New Yorker. I'll tell you that right now, first and foremost. When they get that order, when Carney orders them to join Bernie and reinforce that right flank, the colonel of the 21st Massachusetts bitches. What? No, no, no. <laughs> and it's going to have huge, huge consequences for the military and for Carney personally. So Carney is still, he's being typical Carney, you know, as, as we said, he's he's like, I will turn a battery on you if you don't move kind of thing. But he also refuses to believe that there's rebels out in his front. And Walcott introduces to prisoners to Carney from the 40 land Georgian was like, here you go. And Carney responds, God damn you and your prisoners. And then Carney goes and spurs his horse forward. And this is where things don't go so well for Carney at all. He's going to ride forward in the 21st Massachusetts is dilly dallying. Yeah. They must have been a Dunkin Donuts there because they were in line. Taking <laughs> they stopped time. at the okay. DQ. <laughs> so he wants to, So Carney wants to know. What the hell is taking him so long? Yeah. They're just they're just slow. So he rides up and he's right in that cornfield near the wood line. Yeah. And he's a, he's hearing reports that there are rebel rebels in the woods and nearby. Mm-hmm. And he's just gonna ignore them. And so he's gonna ride in that cornfield to check out the situation to see what's going on with the 21st mast and the mm-hmm. overall situation. He's gonna run into a bunch of Georgians under Edward Thomas, right? Yep. He's gonna try to escape. They're gonna tell him to surrender. And he ain't going to do it. It ain't going to work out too well for old Carney. No, it doesn't. He he basically gets close up and he called out. He was really bold. He called out, what troops are these? And the response was 49th Georgia. And at Glendale, Carney had managed to bluff his way out of a similar situation. He wrote his wife after Glendale and said, a rebel captain mistook me for a rebel general. And off I went. And he's thinking, ha, huh, I can do the same thing. So no, the 49th Georgia apparently have much better eyes than the other guys that he was facing at Glendale. And one of them says, that's a Yankee officer. My accent is horrible today. (laughs) Anyway, um, Carney spurs his horse forward. And as he does, he leans down to avoid getting shot. So he's leaning pretty much flat down on his horse. And that's when he gets shot at the base of his spine. He's going to be shot and the bullet's going to enter him and it's going to come out his shoulder. And he's going to be pretty much killed instantly. And the ironic thing about it is not far or not long before that, he had that quote where he said, a rebel bullet that that can kill me has not yet been molded. Yep. But he's going to be shot through the old backside and it's going to come out his shoulder and he's going to be killed. And it's going to be the end of him. Above him. Now, yep. it's, he, the thing about Phil Carney is he's one of those rare generals, very unlike Pope, where he's apparently universally respected on both sides. He is. A.P. Hill yep. is going to see Carney fall. And upon realizing it was him, he yells to whoever in the 49 Georgia, you've killed Phil Carney. He deserved a better fate than to die in the mud. At that point, the Confederates start ransacking his body. 
they start taking his watch, his boots, his, anything they can get a hold of. Robert E. Lee is going to find out about this. And he's going to be pissed off. He's going to demand everything be returned. He's also going to make sure any personal papers he has on his body to his wife are burned because he doesn't want anybody reading anything that might be sensitive to so yeah. Lee's going to demand everything be burned. But that's the respect they have for a guy named Phil Carney. Yep, and he sends him forward under a flag of truce the next day. Um, and he writes, I send it forward under a flag of truce, thinking the possession of his remains may be a con- consolidation to his family. And as you said, you're absolutely right. He is respected on both sides. Now, Pope didn't like him. Carney was a bit of, um like, I think he had a bit of a temper on him, and he didn't like too many people. But one soldier said, a loss which was deeply felt. He was a man who was made for the profession of arms. In the field, he was always ready, always skillful, always brave, always untiring, always hopeful, and always vigilant and alert. George Templeton Strong said that I don't know whether he understood strategy, but he was a dashing, fearless saber who fought in Mexico, Algeria, and Lombardy and loved war from his youth up. Um, Another man in the Union Army said, a stormy end to a stormy life. I have to confess that in spite of the pride, the news quite unmanned me. The bravest man in the Army of the Potomac has fallen. So there is this huge level of respect for Phil Carney. Now, just briefly about his death, Darren and I, in our research of this, we read a few different things. You know, one that he was shot through the hip, another that he was shot at the base of his spine. And um, one article I came across said that he was literally shot in the ass. Because when the certain way, because when they went to look at his body, they couldn't find an entry wound anywhere there was there was nothing so they say because he had been riding down so low on his horse that's where the bullet went in at least his problems were behind him poor savannah by nightfall the union division all union divisions are for the most part out of gas they're done right they start they're low on ammo their energy is shot they're going to fall back and by this point the battle of chantilly their oxil is over bernie's going to have poe in a john cleveland robinson old friend jc robinson's brigade provide cover to allow them to basically mm-hmm. fall back. So by 11 p.m., this is what's interesting about Jackson. 11 p.m., Stonewall Jackson be, also begins to fall back from Oak Hill. And what he does is he's allowing the Union Army, and more importantly, Pope's Army, to keep that avenue of escape open. So instead of pr- pushing forward and trying to force the situation, they're going to fall back. Now, the next morning, 9-2, at about 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, Pope is going to resume his army's retreat back to Washington through Germantown. Now, I mentioned Longstreet, right? Yep. Well, guess who shows up the next day? James Longstreet. <laughs> look what, guess, guess what he wants to do? He wants to fight. He wants to resume the fight. But by then, the, the, you know, the horse is out of the wagon at that point. Yep. So for Pope, you know, the good news for Pope is he was, was able to retreat back to Washington. Mm-hmm. He'll get back there three days later. He's going to get replaced by George McClellan, who's going to absorb his Army of Virginia back into the Army of, of the Potomac again. Pope is going to be banished to Minnesota to go watch Twins games, you know, okay? And he's going to be part of that Department of the Northwest. He's going to help that Dakota War in 1862. He's going to do all that stuff. He's also going to help with reconstruction of Atlanta after the war. He's, there's some stuff he's going to still do. Yep. As far as Lee goes, though he was disappointed, realistically, Pope escaped. What it did, though, you mentioned before at the beginning of this, it pushed Pope back to Washington. So even though he escaped, he was out of his hair. Yep. And what that did is it allowed him to finally prepare for what he wanted to do, which was invade the North and get into Maryland, which is going to culminate in the Battle of Antietam, which is going to take place just a couple of weeks later. So for Lee, you wonder if 
Jackson fell back. If there was some order along the way not to push forward, let's get Pope out of here. It's going to open the doors. Let's not lose more guys. Yeah. Let's let him go. Because it seems strange that he was gung-ho to kind of take him out, Lee was, and then all of a sudden he's gone. And next thing you know, Longstreet arrives and Jackson's going to fall back. So who knows what happened with that? So I think that was the, the case that, you know, like no matter what happens, Lee, I think, knows he is now in a position to invade the North. You know, at the very most, great, we destroy Pope's army. But at the very least, we get him running back to Washington's defenses, which opens the way up for us. Either way, what happens at Chantilly, I think Lee already knows it's going to be in his favor. Either way, he's getting into the North. But I think that, you know, it probably was a, at some point, you've got to recognize, like, let's cut our losses. Because Jackson's men, when they get to Chantilly, when they get to that Ox Hill, they are starving. They are tired. They've had three days of hard fighting. They're probably in not much of a condition to do much in the way of battle. And, you know, Longstreet's not getting there to reinforce, right? He's on his way. He's going to get there later. And the casualty figures, for the most part, you know, the Union loses 1,300 guys out of around 6,000. The big two is Isaac Stevens and, uh, and Phil Carney. Yeah. There's no question. So the Rebels lose about eight, only about 800 mm-hmm. guys out of about 20,000. So it's a clear victory as far as that goes. It's kind of a tactical tie because they both left the battlefield. There was no significant thing gained. But at the end of the day, to your point, it pushes Pope away. Yep. It allows Lee, that open road all the way into Maryland, and Although he didn't destroy Pope, I think he probably knew his career was probably over yeah. after Manassas and after this. So Lee probably got some sort of satisfaction knowing I think he did. that this guy wasn't going to be in his hair anymore, which it wasn't. No, exactly. I And I think that that's exactly it. I think Lee is probably going to take what he's getting here, which is the way in into Maryland, which is going to lead to South Mountain and to Antietam. That's what he's wanted all along is he's getting you know further and further into the north, which is really going to affect northern morale. He probably knows, too, that after the defeat at Bull Run, that the morale of the army, the Union Army, is going to be pretty low. One interesting thing to mention about Isaac Stevens is that his widow is going to get the flag of the 79th New York that he was found wrapped in, which I thought was a very interesting part mm-hmm. of the story, too. No, there's no doubt. It's, it, it's just, Again, this is one of those battles that really, almost like like Second Winchester was for Gettysburg. It was kind of the final stop that allowed mm-hmm. Lee to, to go on to bigger and better yeah. things. So if... Pope and the gang had put a better fight at Chantilly and pushed him back. Who knows what would have happened with Maryland? I think Lee was probably hell-bent to do it anyway, but it might have been a little bit different. And history might have been different. Who knows how, yeah. how things would have played itself out. So Chantilly is important because it did pave the way. It, yeah, it, it is It is one of these stepping stones. It's a, it's a small battle. You know, in a way, it's kind of like tack on another day of, of Second Manassas. It is kind of the, the bookend to, you know, what we talked about with Bronner's Farm, and now we're ending it with, with Chantilly. But you have the loss of two Union officers. And I think probably the bigger loss would probably be Phil Carney, given the level of respect. And, you know, just the fact that, you know, he's not brought back into the Union Army right away just because of his personal life. And then they realize after First Bull Run, like, shit, we need men who have experience. And Carney had a lot of experience that that they needed at that time, you know. Now, I think whether people liked him can can go either way. And whether he liked you could go either way. He seemed like kind of, like he's a bit of a grumpy guy at times, but he certainly seems like he was, you know, my men will follow me to hell kind of thing. You know, very tough, hard fighting soldier uh-huh. and who, who didn't have to be in the army because he's a millionaire. He could literally have just sat on his ass for his entire life. <laughs> 
he found the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, <laughs> but he wanted to he wanted to keep fighting for yeah. it. So unfortunately, it didn't turn out well for them. So again, good discussion. I think overall, the battle until is a good one. Um, the sad part about this thing is if you do visit it, it's a postage stamp nowadays. Yep. There's not a lot, which is, goes against. It goes again to show how important battlefield preservation is. Yes. When, when you go to a place like Chantilly, you know, it's tough to imagine. they got a couple of monuments, one for Stevens, one for Kearney. Mm-hmm. And you can get an idea of how it probably was. But unfortunately, a lot of it's gone now. There's a lot of development around there. So that's why it's important to keep these battles up. Because like yep. we say many times, Mary, all battles matter. They do. So what's next? So next week, we are going to be talking about General Williams Haynes Lytle because it's the anniversary of the Battle of Chickamauga. And we, we covered Chickamauga last year. So we wanted to do, you know, kind of start profiling more of these soldiers. And we wanted to do some of the ones who were Freemasons. And Lytle's a very well-known Freemason. But we're going to talk about him and his experience at Chickamauga where he's unfortunately killed. And then... And the week after that, we are going to be, we're not going to fully announce it right now, but we are going to be doing an episode with another history podcast about battlefield preservation. So stay tuned for more information about that. And then in October, we will be getting back into uh, some more battles again as well. So let's, oh, and we have September 29th, we have our book club meeting where we are going to be joined by the author of Assassin's Accomplice, Dr. Kate Clifford Larson. And a week from this Wednesday, so when this episode drops on Saturday, it'll just be a few days away, we are going to be having our next roundtable. If you'd like to join. Good stuff is coming. If you'd like to join the book club or the roundtable, info at civilwarbreakfastclub.com and we will shoot you an invite. Excellent. Well, it's great discussion. Always good to talk. Yep. Great job as always to you. No, it's always fun doing this stuff. You as well. You, 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 you only giggled a couple of times talking about old Phil Carney, but that's pretty good. Anyway, so Mary, great to talk about talk to you. This is always so we'll be off in going to bigger and better things. As they say our next adventure, which is going to be about Lytle, da, 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 and we will have fun talking about him as we begin to talk about some of his stuff in detail about his life, which, which we really haven't done yet before yep. what anybody. So this will be a fun one to do. So I'm looking yep. forward to that as well. So any final words from you? No, well, thanks for bringing it as always. Uh, thank you also to our listeners for your continued support over these last 55 episodes. We've received a few nice emails lately from, from people. So that's always nice to hear as yeah, well. Absolutely. All right. Well, anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. We appreciate it. Hope you to see you on our live Hope to see you on our roundtable next week and, of course, the book club down the road. So off we go. Thanks, everybody. Peace out, and we will see you on the other side. See you guys later. Bye.